0: rolling we got we got Aaron Wellman back on the podcast and we've been talking for the past 10 minutes let's let's just keep going why Aaron by the way uh just a little background Aaron Aaron's team uh was six and one this year you know obviously they played less games this year because of COVID they went to a bowl game and uh they they crushed it this year uh they they barely lost to to Ohio State who what what were their ranking this year what'd they end up getting
1: well, they they went to the college football playoffs um, and won. Right? They they played for the national championship. It seems like you know what that was about two months ago, and um, it seems like a long time ago. But um, but they had a great year. I mean, they went undefeated, regular season, went to the playoffs. So good football team, great football team.
0: Yeah, and and you guys you guys crushed it. But you're you're still waking up at three thirty in the morning.
2: What the? Heck?
1: I mean, what are you? Well, doing? I think it's now. It's just kind of the default setting, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> the, the only difference is now that, you know, like, like Brooke said, the PhD's done. Why are you still waking up at 3.30? I think that's my default, I think. But the the problem is now that my 16-year-old and 14-year-old are, are online learning. Um, oh. and I'm not sure that might be an oxy, oxymoron online yeah. learning because I'm not sure what they're learning. All I know is I'm doing math until about 10.30 or 11 o'clock every night with, with my kids. So that's, that's what's hurting me more than the early wake up. It's the, it's the... It's the uh, sophomore geometry and trigonometry at night. So, um, but other than that, we're doing good.
0: Three, four, five, right triangles, 45, 45, 90. Is that what you're going over now?
1: The Baggering theorems, you name it. X, X, X root Isosceles, two, bro. Isosceles, trapezoids. <laughs> uh, so,
2: it's, So, what uh, do you do then, Aaron, when you wake up, 3.30 in the morning, what's going on then?
1: I uh, get to work as fast as I can. Um, I'm out of the house in about 12 minutes in the car on the way to work, and then you know I, I always have, I always have things that you know whether it's articles pulled up, just just things that I want to get done uh, to start my day. Most time is reading. Uh, my staff will get together. If We have a six o'clock lift group. We'll meet at five. Um, just kind of go over what the day looks like, the flow of the room. We we work. We're a morning practice team, so consequently we have larger groups in the mornings, and so the organization that's important. So when the players come in. Uh, we do have it organized and there's not a lot of standing around and we can flow from one exercise to another. And then we've got, you know, we've got a handful of guys who are returning from off season surgery. They have modifications and, and they all have individual work cards when they come in, but inevitably, you know, to get the, to get all the staff on on the same page and make sure that we we present an organized plan to our players and they come in. And so consequently, if there's a staff meeting at five, I want to be in an hour before that to organize my day and my thoughts and and to get anything done that we want to get done. In the winter, we went right from our groups for about an hour and 45 minutes apart. So consequently, we went from one group immediately to the next group, immediately to the next group. And so once uh, once we start, you know, 545 rolls around, we're, we're, we're going 100 miles an hour until those groups are done.
2: I mean, you're in the flow of this, right? And you've been doing it for years. with. And I, when I first met you and you were getting up at that time because you was doing an hour of PhD or something like that every day. When the alarm goes off now, what's the first thing that goes through your head? Are you like, or is it just uh, now, you get up straight away and your head don't even get the chance to get going?
1: But typically, I wake up before it goes off. Um, I mean, it'll be like, I usually wake up five, ten minutes before it goes off, and typically I'll just, I'll just get up, turn off the alarm and get up and roll. Um, very rarely am I sleeping all night, and then my alarm goes off and, and, and I'm out of bed. So I'm, I'm usually all right, I've got another hour. I got 40 minutes, 10 minutes, I might as well go, you know. Um, but unfortunately, and that's not, and I don't, I don't say that. That's not, I'm not proud of that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but that's just how it is. And so, um, in like, like Brooke said, I mean, it's, this has been years. It's been years doing this, right? So um, every once in a while, I'll get a little, I'll get a little fatigued and maybe sleep in another half hour on the weekend and outside of that uh, same schedule.
2: When do you train yourself?
1: Well, like I said, we're a morning practice team, so we typically get all of our training done in the morning. Um, we'll follow that up with any date entry we have, staff meetings, but typically three or four in the evening I'll train, and then um, on weekends I'll get it done early. Saturday, uh, Saturday usually at 4, 4.30 in the morning, and then Sunday I'll go um, – I'll do some cardio usually at 5, 5 in the morning. I'm on – typically every Sunday I'm on a Zoom call – uh, from 7.30 to 9, just on a guy in Australia and a guy in Argentina. We, we jump on a Zoom call and discuss training, discuss a lot of things. And and so I've usually done Sundays for that Zoom call at
2: 7.30. And you're training at the at the at college, at the college? Yeah,
1: team. I come in the facility. You know, we had, we weren't allowed to uh, for a time there last summer. And, um, but now, now we're allowed to, and, and we just kind of work around the other, there's, all of the sports here, it's interesting because all of the fall sports got their seasons postponed with the exception of football. So consequently, at the university, um, every sport is in season right now, except for football. So so our facility is jam-packed most of the day. So we just, we're just we just cautious and respectful of those teams. They're, they're in the middle of their seasons and working around them and staying out of their way. So um, later in the evenings or early in the mornings are always better.
0: What are you doing for your workouts? For you personally, not for your team. For you,
1: yeah. <laughs> right now, I mean, I, I think it's easy to get in a rut, and I think it's easy, and I and I change mine as the flow of the of our team's phase goes. So, in other words, if I'm in right in the middle of winter condition, I know that I'm on my feet for five, six hours straight. That we're going to be, I'm going to be jumping and demonstrating lifts and demonstrating jumps, um, and so that may change the workout. But right now, typically, I'll, I'll do. I'll work out five days a week, um, two upper body days, two lower body days, um, then kind of a whatever I want to do on a Saturday, whatever I feel like doing, then I'll do a couple of days of cardio. Um, and that'll change, right? Like when we get to summer conditioning, I may do, and I, in fact, I was just, before we got on, I was just reading, uh, an Ellington Darden article. You guys are familiar with Ellington Darden, you know, kind of like the father of high intensity training.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just yeah. some,
1: just some brief total body workouts, you know, so. Right in, the, right in the heat of it, if I've got five, six lift groups a day and we're just rolling for 10 hours, um, that does take a toll on you, right, uh, as a coach. Um, and so I may go just to more of a 45-minute total body, three, four-day-a-week training set, training routine. But right now we're going five days a week, two cardio days a week. Um, we just got into spring ball, so we don't have the players quite as much. It gives us a little more time to do some things. But um, But that's what I'm doing right now.
2: And I I love this iron discipline from you, man. Ever since the first time I met you, it was just, it was like, well, how are you, you're just like, you're like almost like a robot, but you're just such a nice dude on the side too. So I don't know how you managed to (laughs) combine them two together. Because if I was operating a four hour sleep repeatedly, I would be a prick.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, you you do get run down, right? I've, I've always thought this. I've always thought, I've always admired people who, um, Hey, you have a strong work ethic and are disciplined, but I've always admired people who have the ability to suffer. Like, there's just something about that draws me to that. Just someone who, yeah, I know it's tired. I know you're tired, and I understand you've gotten two hours rest, but we're supposed to train today, and so we train. Um, Or you're supposed to. I know you're hungry, but you're supposed to eat a chicken breast and some broccoli this meal, so you eat the chicken breast and broccoli. Just that, just that iron will, the discipline, the the structure, the and i ability to suffer is, is kind of use my terminology for it i've always admired that in people um and you know i, th- I think that's that's an important quality having it's not for everyone i get that and that doesn't mean you're better than anyone else because, because you're like that just um, oh. i think it's just a personality trait more than more than a choice
2: was you like that also when you were a kid like going through high school college yourself
1: i was you know, I, I don't know, probably not as much in high school. I, I don't know. That's a great question. In college, I was always a morning person. Um, I always made sure I got breakfast every day in college, even on the weekends. Um, I may go back to bed after that, but I always made sure I was up and had breakfast and and I never missed a workout and things like that. So probably structure. You know, I have a 16-year-old son. and He's much the same way, um, whether that's nature or nurture, probably a little bit of both. But um He's much the same way. Very structured, very disciplined, kind of, kind of has a, has a, has a, just a lot of willpower for lack of a better term. Um, he, he's much the same way.
0: So in the mornings, do you do any caffeine? Do you do any coffee? Do you do any pre-workout?
1: I do. I do a cup of coffee on the way to work in the morning. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, I probably, there are days I have more caffeine than I should have, right? Because, Um, I may work out in the afternoon and may need another cup of coffee, whatever it is, but I, but I don't, I'm not a big energy drink throughout the day kind of guy. I'll I'll do a cup of coffee. I'll grab that in the morning. It's already brewed when I come down put it in the cup and I'm out the door. Um, and there's not much time for that, right? Like I said, our workouts are kind of back to back. And so, and so once we go, once we start, we're going, um, so there's not, um, there's not a lot of time to kind of relax and recharge. And we just kind of, once you start, you just keep going.
2: I'm not surprised to hear that you don't drink energy drinks because that doesn't, that's not part of your diet schedule, I'm sure. I mean, you mentioned that you're now into carb cycling. What does that look like now? How's your day of eating?
1: Yeah, carb cycling is, um, and I've done this, like I said, we've had several conversations, right? I don't know why people are always so fascinated with my schedule, but they seem to be. um, So the carb cycling, I've done it once a year. I'll, I'll, I'll take at least 12 weeks now I'm pretty structured year-round but once a year I'm gonna drop the hammer for 12 weeks I'm gonna see how much body fat I can lose and um and I'll do it some some like towards the end of this it's gonna be virtually no carbs as because as you, I'm 46 years old as every year it seems to get a little bit tougher a little bit longer to lose the fat a little more suffering on the back end which i like um which kind of <laughs> why which I do it every year but carb cycling is essentially uh, boy, this this is an old time kind of bodybuilding, like traditional carb cycle, where you have a high day, a medium day and a low day. And uh, so right now I go high, medium, low Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I go back to high carb day, Friday's a medium day, and then my low days, then I go Saturday, Sunday, low carb days. And, and I have it all, I have it all on my computer, um, you know, every meal, but, but it's about high day, I'm getting about 2,700 calories my medium day about 2,300, my low day about 1,900 calories and the carbs are between 50 and 75 low day. On a high day, they're more 350 to 400 grams of carbs. Um, but that's, and so the constant cycling of those and, and the constant, not just the carbohydrates, but also subsequently the calories that are associated with those carbohydrates, right? Protein stays fairly the same, fat stays fairly the same. So we're, manipulate, we're manipulating carbohydrate intake and with that, obviously caloric intake uh, on the high carb days.
2: So do you have special workouts that you're putting on for a high carb day, medium and low based yeah, on my, like, the energy yeah. available?
1: I, I work out so the high carb day it, high carb day for me is the hardest because I just don't enjoy eating that much. Um like like my first day Monday, I didn't get all my food. In. I'm like I just can't I just can't eat all this rice. You know what I mean? But I will get it in tomorrow. Um, but I work out Monday, Tuesday, those are high, and medium day. Wednesdays a low carb day, Wednesdays I'll do cardio. Uh Thursdays and Fridays will go again high, and medium, I'll do upper and lower again those days. And Saturday and Sunday are low carb days. And, and I operate, I know that a lot of people don't enjoy the low carb. I operate really well on low carbs to no to no carbs really. Um and never feel a drop in energy, never feel like I can't get a good workout. So I I enjoy the low carb days the most. Um and that's all weekend. So, but the, yeah, I'm working out on essentially two of the high days, two of the medium days, and one of the low days. The other days I'm doing cardio, some type of cardio activity.
2: So, so why cycle? I mean, I've known you since the, you. I mean, you were going carnivore for a long time. I mean, why why cycle? Do you feel like that gets you to a lower body fat percentage than just going pure, you know, carnivore?
1: I have, um, I have gotten a lower body fat percent with carb cycling you know carbohydrates in and of themselves aren't evil they're just easy to abuse right they're easy. it's easy to overeat carbohydrate and thereby overeat calories it's much harder to overeat protein sources chicken breast fish it's it's hard to overeat those things they're more satiating um they take longer to prepare they take longer to eat and so i have gone very low on carb cycling um i think I think the kind of carnivore type diet, I think is, I use that more when I'm just trying to, I may be going through a strength phase or I'm just, I just want to be able to eat, not track things and not gain body fat. And I think that's good because the, it's, it's an appetizing plan, right? It's, it's satiating. It's hard to overeat. And so if I'm not going to count macronutrients, then I may just go on a more of a carnivore ish plan where I'm really eating no, no carbohydrates. And it's primarily eggs and, and some meats. Um, but if I'm including carbs in my diet, I feel like I need to track things because it's easy. It, it's easy for me to undereat as well. Um, but it's also easy to overeat. And if I can manipulate carbs, I always feel like I have another lever to pull if I'm carb cycling. Like I can, I can start off at a higher carbohydrate intake and pull the lever. I can go a little bit lower. I can include instead of three low days a week, I can include four. I can go no high days and just do medium and low days. So seems to be always another lever to pull, which I think if you're doing something for 10 to 12 weeks, I think that's important. Whereas carnivore, okay, I can pull the fat lever. I can decrease my total fat intake, but I can't really manipulate carbs because I'm I'm not taking any carbs. Um, And that's just, I mean, personally for doing it, and I've done this once a year for, uh, we're talking 23, 24 years. (laughs) um so i've got diets from 2000 with hydrostatic body fat measures and one thing i do find is on on a zero carb approach my sleep is better my blood pressure is always lower my my resting heart rate is always lower regardless of amount of cardio done um so i do i do like that so if i'm not like when i get done with these 12 weeks i'll go to probably the whole summer just a zero carb more of a meat-based egg-based
2: so the progression then so where you've started with your macros now um every week will that sort of with a high medium low just drop by 10 percent or something like that and until the end of the 12 weeks when it's more or less no carb
1: yeah i'll drop it down every week it just depends on the progress right like like if if my energy is really low and i'm dropping way too fast i may stay at this level until you know i always think the diet with it with a diet you should eat as much as possible and still lose body fat Right, and so so that's kind of that's kind of the plan. How much can I get away with and still drop body fat? When body fat stalls, then there has to be another lever to pull. Besides, go from two thousand to nineteen hundred, from nineteen hundred to eighteen hundred calories. And so, um, I, I feel like the carb manipulation allows me to to do both of those things. Um, so my plan is to stay at this level for about two weeks, then decrease it two more weeks, and then, like I said, it's going to be. I know by week ten. I won't be happy where I'm at. I'm just going to say, forget it, no cars. And I'm going to do that for the last three weeks and see how low I can get. That's how it always ends. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, do. I, I think it ends like that more now because I'm older, right? And it's just tougher. The... When I was 25, it was fairly straightforward. <laughs> uh, when you're 46, it's, it's hard for me to, to lose the fat and, and keep the muscle, right? That's the struggle is, is we don't want to lose muscle as we age but we also want to be lean. And I I think doing it once a year allows me to stay leaner the rest of the year. If you spend 25% of the year cutting as much body fat as you can, you tend to, to keep it off throughout the years a little bit better.
0: You know, I, I, I agree with that. I think that's a good idea. Like trying to get as low with the body, body fat percentage as possible, at least once a year, that way, at least you always have that starting point to, you know, ruin. Right. Um, but well, in my case room, but the, I was, I was laughing this whole time thinking like, yeah, yeah, I do carb cycling. You know, some days I'll have Cuban Pete's some days, some days I'll have Gaffle grill and the Gaffle grill is like a, you know, a chicken Caesar salad with a double bacon cheeseburger, but I won't eat the bun. So it's low carbs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I did, I did a hundred days of strict carnivore, strict yeah. carnivore. And when you were saying it's very difficult to overeat protein sources, I just couldn't stop laughing because, man, when I wanted to gain weight on carnivore, I gained weight on carnivore. I would have probably three. All I had to do was introduce mozzarella. That's all I had to do was, was just start introducing cheese to the carnivore diet. And I don't know if that's a yay or a nay with, with the hardcore carnivore, carnivore folk. What, what, what's, the, what's the consensus on that?
1: Well, I think that, I think the hardcore carnivore people, I mean, they eat meat, and, and they on meet meat only, and, and they do, it's mostly red meat probably, just because it's hard to get the caloric, um, to meet the calorie needs on fish. Mm-hmm. But I think they do include, I think I think most people will do red meat, combination of seafood, turkey, chicken, but as long as it's meat, but, and some people throw in, I mean, who knows, like, like are there really rules for this, like, is it cheese, is it is it eggs, I don't know, I think it's everyone... You know, I I don't know if there's a strict carnivore code, but carnivore to me means meat. Yeah. Meat either. But but certainly you can gain weight on it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's energy in and energy out. That's still part of the – we can't – those thermodynamics we can't erase. I mean, that's still, that's still there. It's just, it's just, you know, it's harder to eat. If you sit down and eat a pound of beef, most people aren't hungry any longer. Now, could you eat more if you tried? Certainly. But if you eat a plate, if you eat a plate of pasta, um, you could still probably eat some garlic bread. You could still, and two hours later, you may be ready right to eat again. I found when you eat high, anything that's higher fat, higher in protein, that it uh, keeps you full a little bit longer. Um, and it's look, I'm not, I don't have, I'm not advocating any type of diet, but, but, um, so you gained weight on the carnival?
0: Oh, I could have, but so oh, I got down. Right now, I'm back up to. 203. I took my fat progress picture, uh, two days ago when I was at 203 this morning, I was down to like 200 ish, but I'm going to hop back on the carnivore diet where I went from, again, I went from 206 down to 186. Now I was at 186 for a day. That was the lowest I got. Um, I usually hovered around 189, but that was the lightest I'd been and in shape in years. And that was when I was doing my hundred hour weeks where it was a nightmare. You know, I had, I had school on the weekends and I didn't have any days off. So I barely, but I, I had tons of energy to work out. Yeah. I had the energy that I needed to work out on the carnivore diet where now I, I I might be doing 60 hour weeks, like nothing crazy, but my days are structured in a way where I'll have my NFL crew. I'll have my morning group, which, which is high school and college kids from 6am to like 8am. And then my NFL crew goes straight through from 8 a.m. they'll blend right into about 1 p.m. and I'm non-stop 12, yeah. 12 o'clock 1 p.m. I'm non-stop so yeah. by the time that's over and I don't do caffeine I don't do any pre-workout I, I haven't had caffeine in probably four years now I don't know I forget what it is for four or five years maybe now at this point and I love not having caffeine but man not not having that energy after at 12 o'clock, like that pick me up would have been, would be really, really nice for me right now. But when eating carbs, I'm exhausted. If I was still on the carnivore diet right now, I, I'm i pretty sure I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to make that switch. I just started doing my uh, my food orders now again. And I'm just going to, now that the weather's getting nice, I'm going to stop eating like a slob and, and go back to probably maybe maybe try another 100 days of carnivore, only make it carnivore-ish and have only vegetables. Yeah, I'm gonna do the blood work before and after. I didn't do it last time, but yeah, I mean,
1: I, I have a hard time. You know, like is the is the strict carnivore is it sustainable long term? I think it's sustainable. I think it can be done. I don't think we know the health implications of completely excluding certain food groups. I certainly think it's okay to do in short spurts and depending on what your you know if it's an elimination diet or whatever your goals are. How, how was your um, heart rate, blood pressure, sleep when you were done? Phenomenal. Yeah,
0: yeah. Phenomenal. My resting heart rate was low, but my body weight was lower. When my body weight goes up, my resting heart rate goes up. Like that's just that's just how it goes. Sure. Um, however, and my stress was through the roof. My stress towards the end was was horrible. Between trying to finish school, I had my identity stolen. That was a fucking nightmare. Um, and then I also got in a really bad car accident. So the end, like my numbers were, were all skewed, but I mean, I was, I was sustaining hundred hour weeks with zero days off on carnivore diet for a hundred days. No fucking, like, I, you know, I was, I was stressed, but not much of a problem. Like I was able to do it. I was able to figure the shit out. It wasn't, it wasn't bad.
1: Did you, um, limit yourself to a certain window of time for feeding? Or did you just, whenever you're hungry?
0: So whenever I wanted to eat, I pretty much ate, but I couldn't eat whenever I wanted because I either was in class or I was in clinic or I was in session and I was traveling back and forth to the Hamptons, which is a two and a half hour trip. So you can't eat on those. Um, that was, that was pretty routine. Then I also was traveling back and forth to school, which was a half hour each way where you're not allowed to eat in school. And if you're in clinic, Clinic, set, clinic sessions were four hours long apiece. Couldn't eat, couldn't eat during clinic, so it was like you know I was I was stuck. But I'm very very strict about not eating past five p.m.
1: Yeah, I don't eat past five that's p.m. That's important. Yeah, that's important. I think, or especially at
0: least, especially with protein.
1: Right, at least within three hours of you know, cutting it off three hours before your normal bedtime, three to four hours, I think, is, is, is helps with sleep for most people. I know it, I know it negatively impacts my sleep if I eat too late.
0: Three to four hours. I will. I will give you three hours if it's a vegan meal, vegan low protein meal, because it's easy to digest. Meat, man, red meat is going to take energy to digest. Your resting heart rate is going to be too high. I, I. I cannot find anyone that will eat within three hours and not have an elevated resting heart rate by five ten percent. In which case, oh, like, I,
1: no, I can't. I, I'm fine doing that. I yeah. can have a pound of meat at dinner. And my resting heart rate would be very low. But if I have uh, carbohydrates, a decent amount of carbohydrates at dinner, I know my resting heart rate is going to be 10 10 to 20% higher.
0: So so you can eat red meat before dinner, uh, excuse me, before bed, like and go right to bed, and your resting heart rate won't be any higher? No, I
1: never eat before bed. I'm talking about if I were to eat a higher-fat, low-carb meal at, let's say, 6 o'clock, and then three hours later, go to bed versus a high carb meal at six o'clock and three hours later, go to bed. Very different heart rate response to those two meals for me. So if
0: I do what I've, what I've noticed was if I do the high carb, it has to be low protein. It can be higher fat, but it has to be low protein is what I've noticed. So when I combine, I, I don't know if there's anything to this, I couldn't tell you, but for me personally, if I combine, just like you said, the protein with the carbohydrates, if it's me. It does mess me up. I don't know why, but my resting heart rate gets even worse. Um, and you don't consume alcohol, right? No. Yeah, so not, neither do I. And when I have alcohol, I am ruined.
1: Yeah, that, that I think that's pretty universal that alcohol um, really ruins deep, particularly deep sleep, right? You get, you get a huge spike in resting heart rate. Heart rate variability decreases and deep sleep is almost non-existent. If, if even small consumptions of alcohol, a glass of wine, Mm-hmm. Um you'll, most people are going to see some, if they track their sleep and to the degree that we do, I think most people are going to see some hugely negative impacts on a lot of sleep markers.
0: Oh yeah. We, so we had Cal on the podcast, uh, what on Sunday, Sunday. and we, and we were drinking on the podcast. I had scotch, man. I haven't been drunk in years, right? Brooker, we, we since you've been here, I haven't been drunk.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. So I probably two years, I have not been drunk. Man, I got pretty toasted. I had four scotches, four big scotches on that podcast. At and it was over at what
2: two o'clock? We, yeah, he, three two, o'clock. We were, but we were going for we were that podcast in total was about f- over three hours. I mean, not all of it recorded, but
0: yeah. And bro, my sleep was a nightmare. I woke up at one a.m. Didn't get back to sleep until three thirty, and then finally got back to sleep. Had to wake up, go to work at five thirty. And then that whole next day, I had acid acid reflux. That next night, I went to sleep at 8.30. 8.30 uh, p.m. I went to sleep. Woke up at 5.30 in the morning. So I got a lot of sleep. Horrible deep sleep. Horrible REM sleep. Yeah. My sleep score was like a 79. And my readiness was a 79. My sleep score should have been in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, that made,
1: it that made, was, yeah, it's... um. No, that's why I completely avoid it. Um, mm-hmm. I completely avoid it for that reason. There's no—I mean, <laughs> to me, especially when you when you're busy and want to get a lot, have a lot of things you want to get done. There's no good time to lose a night of sleep. Yeah, it just is. And now you were negatively impacted for two nights, right? You didn't just lose one; you lost two. So, um, but that's um, and, and you know, athletes, college, professional athletes. That's they got to understand that and and that's why you encourage them to get things like aura rings or root bands or whatever technology to look at how how their lifestyle impacts or negatively impacts in this case um sleep and recovery i think those are good lessons
2: yeah well my mate just quickly just to go back have you got any blood did you ever get any blood work done like hormonal profile stuff from and looked at low carb influence
1: i looked well not uh, hormonal, but just like a, like a metabolic panel, like a CBC, right? Where you're looking at triglycerides, cholesterol. And I did, you know, on the, um, now there's, this is, I'm not qualified to, to speak on this. And this is a huge topic of debate amongst a lot of people that are much smarter than me, but is cholesterol levels, right? I know this when you're, when you're, when you're actively losing body fat, cholesterol will be higher right you'll see those fats in the blood because it's in the blood yeah uh, it's in the blood right and so when we're dropping but so anytime you go on a cutting diet you may see an elevated cholesterol and i think you i think you see further elevations at least for me when i was on a all meat diet higher saturated fat diet now the question is is that problematic is that worrisome um again i i'm not in that debate I, there is a huge debate Certainly, you can find those debates online. I don't seem to be too worried. And so, so to answer your question, Brooke, my CBC—the only thing, the only thing that was off the charts was my cholesterol. So, I had higher total cholesterol, I had higher uh, LDL cholesterol. I, I also had higher HDL, which is good, right? But the LDL was really high. The total was really high. Um, obviously, I exercise, I, I watch what I eat, but but on that carnivore low carb diet, I did see a, quite an increase in. Total on LDL cholesterol.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I will say now I'm, I'm a kind of a weird cat as you, you already know. I don't wear, I haven't worn deodorant in like six years, but I don't <laughs> smell. Yeah. I don't smell. I do not smell. i shower twice, twice a day, three times a day, whatever. I don't smell. When I did the carnivore diet, bro, I stunk. Like it was like, it was like every Italian gene that came in and every, every stereotype that you could possibly think of, like with the stinky Italian, bro, it was brutal. I'd do a podcast and the room would smell. I'm like, holy shit. So I don't know what that has to do with it. And now I talked to um, one of my friends who, he took some kind of uh blood test for some allergy, food allergy test, which I think. So many of these food sensitivity tests are bullshit. I think they're terrible. Um, He took one and it said one of the things that was bad for him was saturated fat from red meat specifically or something like that. So, But red meat was very good for him. He responded well to red meat but responded poorly to the saturated fat in red meat. So what he would do is he would boil the red meat um, to drain all the fat. And that's how he would eat his red meat. He'd, he'd do everything he could to like sift out the, the fat from the red meat. And he said, all his body odor went away just from taking away saturated fat from his diet and re- saturated fat associated with red meat. He took that away and all, all his body odor went away. Um, he said, Mike, you know, I've I've gone on five mile hikes, 10 mile hikes and not smelled at all. So I was thinking... In the back of my head, with no, with no blood work, no nothing, was maybe the body odor had something to do with the LDL influence. Um, I don't know the HDL to LDL profile. I, I don't know if there's anything. I don't know either.
1: I've never heard that. No, it'd be interesting to see because there are there are you know red meats that are lower in fat, right? I mean, like if mm-hmm. you do it like um, elk uh venison boar i mean these these are very lean ostrich is is, although it um
2: is that a red meat
1: well it is it does ostrich is
2: amazing as a red meat it is a red meat i'm
1: not i'm not mistaken it's a red meat
2: no it's Um, a red meat yeah but it's
1: very it's you know it's super lean it's very gamey macronutrient profile like chicken um yeah yes elk is elk is very similar so a lot of the wild boar you get is very similar so i wonder it'd be interesting to hear i've never heard that i have no idea why that would be but is it it'd be interesting next time you try it, to go on like a to, to get more of kind of these lower fat game meats and see um you know if that happened again.
2: i know it's the same when i went vegan for a little while mike I where you started smelling. smelling like shit no i stopped smelling dude that's what i mean yeah And then when I, and I knew because that was when I weren't showering much. And then when I was in Argentina and then I started eating meat again, all of a sudden I couldn't get away with it anymore. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I, I, I I don't know what the connection is, but that's, that was the only downside that I had from the carnivore diet was I just started smelling. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not smelly kid. Like it was, it was brutal. I I couldn't bear, my girlfriend couldn't come near me. It was so bad.
1: Interesting. I've never heard that.
0: Yeah um but i'm i'm hopping back on that some bitch so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who gives <laughs> yeah i'm 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 getting so i've done i'm like you where i mean throughout college four years of college i weighed my food every single yeah. meal and yeah. you know i fluctuated between like a a 40 30 30 or you know uh maybe 35 35 sort of thing it was I was very, very strict with everything that I did, but it was always within those zone was what Correct. I responded to pretty well. Um, and I got lean. I yeah. was strong. I was fast. I had great recovery. Um, and you know, I'd set my alarm at four thirty in the morning ch- and have a protein shake made the night before chug the protein shake and go right back to sleep. Right? Like that's, I, I was very, very regimented. If I want to be, I can do that. The best the the two best times that the two times I've looked the best and felt the best was doing that, but I was also on a ton of stimulants then too, and the carnivore diet. Yeah. I, I, now I'm gonna do the carnivore diet and only eat vegetables. Like I'll have my Brussels sprouts in the morning with my bacon and stuff like that. I I love that, but I'm I'm really interested to see this time how much energy I get by keeping the vegetables in, or if it's really just stemming from me being good with just the meat.
1: So what what was it? What did a typical day look like for you, as far as how many meals and what did you eat?
0: Woke up, I'd have three eggs and three to six strips of bacon, um, and towards the end I was putting some cheese and some fry some liver that I cooked in the bacon grease into my eggs, and it was the only way I could eat the friggin' liver. I hate I. Yeah, hate li- liver's liver is not
1: uh, real palatable. I mean, it's.
0: Oh it tastes it for those of you that have haven't tried liver imagine you going to take a bite of your steak and it's like one of those bad bites of steak like it's like a real well done like like oh let me just spit this out it just doesn't taste right that's a good piece of liver right is is, is that an accurate description
1: yeah i mean i think it depends how you cook it but it, to me it's just the the taste of it cuz i i'll get a i'll get a pound of um I forget what it's called, um, but it's essentially a blend of beef, heart, and liver um, in, in a one-pound package. You i just cook that up. And so obviously you can now, – now I'll also eat one pound of beef heart. I'll get a one-pound pack of just heart. And heart is not bad, um, but liver is very – well, it's got a taste. It's got a pretty strong taste. Um, and so I, I'll combine that. I'll get that. If I buy that, I'll get that combined, you know, 85% beef with 15% heart and liver mix and I'll make sure that I when I'm doing that um, if I'm just more of a meat based and a little bit of vegetables I'll make sure that I get some liver and some heart and just some different organ meats in there kidney they they throw some kidney in it.
0: see well. I, you know I've I've done the research on it and the only difference is if you're strict strict carnivore you're not getting the the micronutrients from right. just meat that's that's why you got to have the organs right. it's just a as little bit as more opposed dense. to
1: just muscle meats right as exactly. opposed to just eating sirloin steaks yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's the only reason I had the liver, um, because I wasn't supplementing with anything else. Because I really wanted to try this out. Um, so I'd eat probably, I probably eat maybe pound or two pounds of liver a week, right? Mm. So I was I was eating enough, I think. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and then for lunch, depending on what time I was out of class, I'd probably eat once or twice a day. That was it. May some sometimes I'd have three three meals, but then I'd have. Um, I don't know, two pounds of steak. And that was it. I'd grill it, put it on the barbecue, put it on the grill, and, and be 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 set. And I'd yeah. have that with salt, salt, pepper, and I'd drink seltzer, lime flavored seltzer. That was my that was my cheat. You know what I mean? Like that was when all you have, all you have is meat, like man, that was tasty.
1: Yeah. That yeah. was it. No no I had,
0: and I got all my stuff from like butcher box. I'd order, you know, five hundred dollars worth of food every single month from butcher box. And then I'd go, I'd go to the poultry farm down the road and get, and get eggs. That
1: was it. Yeah. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Um,
0: It was cheap too. I saved so much money. I think
1: think you're right. When, when that's all you're eating, what those meals cost a little more, but when you look at it throughout the course of a month, um, I think it is very comparable to what most people would spend on regular groceries. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. did you do any, fasting during the time, prolonged fasting?
0: Yeah. So, uh, it was easy for me to fast when, when I, I mean, I still haven't eaten. It's it's 1 PM right now. And I haven't eaten since yesterday at one 30. Right. So I'm shit, I'm at a 24 hour fast. I didn't even realize. Um, but you know, it, it, a fast for me is, is cake now because of the um, me not eating from 5 PM on. So, sure. and, and me working early. So it, I think the longest fast I did was three days on the carnivore diet, which intentionally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. um, the one day was unintentional. I was like, okay, let's stretch this out and see how far I could see how, see how far I could go. And then I did two days. My brother, my brother did a six day fast. He, he went ham and he, he was fine. He was perfect. Yeah, I did
1: a, I did a five day water fast, uh, right before our season started in early October. How'd you feel? Uh, great. I mean, by day four and five, I had, there's no, a lot of good energy, good focus, not hungry. I still worked out. Um, That's one thing I
0: won't do. I won't work out because the whole point of me working out is I want to build muscle, but I'd be burning it at that point, right?
1: Well, I think, I think you can be smart within targeted with it. So I, I did, uh, I worked out on like days two and four and then on day five after I got the meal on I me, mean, but I, you know, just the strength training is a stimulus for muscle growth. And so you you can get, you can, you can increase protein synthesis by simple a targeted strength training session. That doesn't mean a two hour strength training session, but you can go in there and put, do three sets of three on back squat and three sets of three on shoulder press and three sets of three of chin ups, weighted chin ups where are and, you getting
0: your your essential amino acids from because they're not stored in fat
1: well i mean whenever when you're fasting you, you can break you can break down muscle right
0: so you're breaking down muscle to build muscle
1: what i'm saying is when, if you're on a prolonged fast that's the battle is 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 to stay away from catabolism right is what you're speaking of so all the, now now there is an argument that all resources should go towards kind of rejuvenation at this point mm-hmm. during a fast but there is some evidence of sparing some what little mu- muscle and i think it's different with different ages i mean i think if you're used to a if you've used to a low carb diet and you produce ketones fairly easily and you you're metabolically flexible uh, i think that we've done Bob pods on older people when i say older 40s 50s 60s on people who've done fast and they've lost a pound or two of muscle and and granted Bob pod isn't i don't know if that's the gold standard for these things um, but there is some, I think, with some targeted strength work, not to failure, not maximal, but you can stave off some of that catabolism by just including some low volume, heavier, intense work. And, and look, that's like, fat I look at fasting as like, that's part of our evolution, right? Sure. And so during evolution, when we fasted, we still had to to do things. We still had to function. We still, so I don't look at that as a, I look at that as a normal um, part of evolution that we should all be okay, okay in. A 24 hour fast or 48 hour fast. Um, I had plenty of energy on days of fours and five, So I got, a, I got a little workout in on, and I felt better. I got, again, if you go train for an hour and a half on day four of a fast, you're probably putting yourself in a bad position. Right. But lifting some heavy objects, you know during a fast couple sets of deadlifts i don't think that's i don't think that's problematic as far as I mean, from a catab- catabolic perspective
2: if you look at some different civilizations that still hunt i mean they still ma- maintain a very high muscle mass and of course there's a genetic component to it too but they're not all rakes uh, not all of them I,
0: I don't know some some of those people that i see that are that are hunting civilizations that are not like uh, i don't know first world type things Man, I am, those, those, I don't want to look like them.
2: Well, obviously not. <laughs>
0: you know what I mean? Like, those, those are all skinny. So you, don't <laughs> you don't want to wear <laughs> one. <laughs> like, you know, it's, I don't, I don't want to be a skinny guy. Like I want to, I want to be healthy. I want to be in shape, but I want to be muscular. Right. So my thought process is why am I fasting? Well, there, there's, there's a couple of reasons why I fast. One is a cellular autophagy, the, the alleged, Cellular aut- autophagy, right, I should say. Yeah. Um, that's, a, you know, oh, you know, it's, it's supposed to renew cells and it's supposed to clear things out. It's supposed to reduce the, the amount of cancer cells and, and all these wonderful benefits. Uh, you're, you're increasing growth hormone by this day and all, all these things, like maybe. Okay, so, hey, I won't eat for that. Why not? Two, I do believe in giving your system a rest, right? The, the whole eating every three hours your pancreas is doing a lot of work. It's doing a lot of work all day long. Cause you want to keep that insulin as as steady as possible, right? Well, I mean, to give your, give your body, your organs, that kind of break from digestion is, I I think it's important. Uh, Also three, the mental, the mental focus that it takes and the, the commitment, right? The, the suffering that you're That you're intentionally putting yourself through to, I I don't know. It's like one of those like, hey, time to bear down. Hey, you're not eating? Bro, people in the Holocaust did this for months. Like, grow a set. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like, you could suffer a little bit. Like, how much can I push myself? For the same reason why, Brooker, you know, you stayed in the sauna for an hour just to see how long you could stay in there. Or the same reason you're doing the Ironman. Then on top of that, the mental clarity that you get. I mean, people... I talked to people and they said that when they did a 14 day fast, they didn't really kick in until day seven
2: to 10. And it was
0: Mm -hmm. like, they were synced in, like they were locked in.
2: Yeah. One of my clients didn't even want to stop after 14 days Yeah, and ended up dragging it out to 19.
1: All, what did they consume in the fast water and electrolytes?
2: Yep. Do you I mean, need electrolytes because otherwise you're getting a headache right. hardcore right. after two days, three days.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I think you got to be, obviously, I, I don't, I wouldn't recommend people just start water fasting without <laughs> someone guiding because there's, you know, electrolyte status has to be maintained. I mean, there, there's some, it's, it's, it's not just, hey, stop eating, right? I mean, it's, um, certainly I think people could run into problems if they do that. So, so having someone guide them through the doctor whatever, I think is, is, um, smart to do uh depending on how long you're going i wasn't worried with five days for me mm-hmm. of running that problem but certainly a 14 day fast now you're now you're talking about a di- whole a whole different level of uh, fasting and, and some things that some protocols probably need to be put in place
2: i mean there's some amazing stuff that comes from i think his name's dr fung he's from toronto and yeah he wrote a lot of, yeah and i mean he's got you know he's got claims of reversing diabetes uh, yeah. and stuff like that for his clinic so i don't know
1: I, you know i think it's um it's you can't call fasting a fad because it's been around for thousands yeah. of years right i mean it's documented um but there are there, i think people are bringing more of it to light um you know a guy named daniel pompa uh p-o-m-p-a um has a good book. In fact, it's, I might be sitting, might be around here somewhere, but, but he's got like a seven week fasting protocol for those who have never fasted. Week one, you're going to do this and it kind of culminates in a five day fast at week seven. I think that's a, and, and he, he elucidates a lot of the positive benefits from, uh, from fasting. So I, that's a, that's a great book to look at if people are just trying to familiarize. Jason Fung, I've seen him, Jason, Dr. Fung put a lot of information as well.
0: You know, I, I read, I think it was Dr. Fung that I read something in regards to one of his, uh, cleansing routines where, uh, do you know what, do you know what Gua Sha is? No. So Gua Sha is, is, is scraping instrument assisted soft tissue massage. It's like the the original Chinese version. Um, one thing that I read was he does, he'll have them do garlic, maybe activated charcoal. And, um, niacin, right? Like, uh, I, I forget how much niacin while in a sauna and then also scraping and removing like,
1: uh, superficial
0: yeah. toxins. Have you heard of that?
1: Yeah, I have. In fact, um, I might've been like Ben Greenfield podcast, one of the podcasts I heard him discuss. I have never done that. I mean, some of the cleansing stuff to me, I'm, you know, I just don't. I haven't studied enough, I haven't looked at enough, I haven't tried it. I I don't know. Um you know, we have a, we do have a liver. that handles a lot of that, right? I mean. And so I haven't gotten into many of the cleansing protocols. So no, I'm not as familiar with those.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I when people talk to me about cleanses, I immediately say bullshit. You know, like what are we cleansing? Toxins. All right, list the toxins, please. You know, uh but I remember even in high school, uh, when kids had to like pass drug tests for, uh, for like marijuana, what do they say? Oh, get niacin. It'll flush, it'll flush everything out of your system and drink water, uh, get on the treadmill and, and drink niacin, uh, and, and take niacin. So the niacin thing kind of resonated with me a little bit as far as, I don't know. Some kind of purification or some kind of cleansing. I don't know why. I don't know how, but it, it for whatever reason, it did. So, Pat Cole and I actually tried it. We did, uh, we didn't do the activated charcoal, but we did the garlic and we did the niacin. And then we brought jade, uh, like a natural tool, into mm-hmm. the sauna with us. And we went to this place called the BRC Spots, a Russian bathhouse. And this place, I mean, you haven't been to a sauna until you've been to this place. Like, it is an old school spot where they have these brick oven heaters it is insanely hot like it might be it's it's easily 220 240 oh, degrees it's yeah. incredible there it's phenomenal so we went in there and they have a cold tub that's like 32 degrees and it's constantly spinning it's actually 32 degrees it is the coldest tub i've ever been in and uh we went there and we just started, you know, we we did it a couple of times. I noticed absolutely nothing except I got kind of a headache and I got like an upset stomach from it. But I'm not I'm not gonna. I, I just stopped doing right. it. Like even the scraping right. and stuff like that. I don't know. It was that's even an acupuncture thing. Like you want to get all the toxins out by by scraping. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I,
1: what do and you that, that be my question is what toxins. And are these toxins, I mean, I mean, I think you can make an argument that we all have toxins in us from the environment, right? Whether we, regardless of how judicious we are with food intake and and what we do and how we live, I think that environmental toxins, certainly we probably all have, but exactly, you know, with these protocols, that's my question is, okay, what what toxins am I eliminating? How should I feel? How do I know that I've eliminated them? Other than, yeah, I feel really good. I've felt really good getting out of saunas and cold tubs before. I don't know if it's because I released toxins or I just had, you know, it probably was a parasympathetic arousal of some sort, um, nervous system response. Who knows what it was? But um, yeah, so I, I haven't. I'm like you. I haven't really gotten into. I've never tried, so I shouldn't say one thing bad or good. I just have never tried it. Yeah, don't don't waste your time.
2: <laughs> what kind of protocols do you do with the hot and cold, Aaron?
1: I like, if I have time and, and if I have access, um, I, at home, I do used to do hot and cold showers, kind of the old the old contrast showers. I really like that. Um, or just simply ending ending a shower with 60 seconds as cold as I can. I really like that. But if I have time, I love a I love a cardio session followed by a 25, 30-minute sauna session followed by a 10-minute cold tub. Nice. Um, that, to me, is that's a perfect morning if i could drop a perfect morning a cup of coffee a cardio session a sauna session a cold tub that's that's about as good as life gets for me um yeah. but um but i do feel better now why is that i don't know i mean physiologically what's occurring i, I don't know if we know i just you know I, I do feel better most people report those same those same they, they like most people like saunas they may not enjoy it in the midst of the sauna session but most people just feel better and there's certainly, there's a lot of research on somers, right? And, and Rhonda Patrick's put out a ton of research. But um, but I do think those, you know, these, call it hormetic stress, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I, do think, I do think there's benefits to being cold certain times, to being warm, to being hungry. Um, I think all those things are all things that we've had to certainly, in the past thousand years ago, experience probably on a daily basis, but Things that we, we, I think we're, we're a comfortable society, right? When it's hot, we put on, we t- we take off a layer, turn on the air conditioning. When we're cold, we put on a layer. When we're hungry, we eat. we very rarely do kind of sit in that discomfort uh, mm. and grow through that. And so I think those, I think those, that's important.
2: Goes back to I always now going to think of you as Sisyphus. You know the the Greek mythology of Sisyphus. No, the I don't. The guy that the the pushes up the big boulder up the hill.
1: Right. Yeah. Right.
2: The never-ending hill,
1: yeah, no Tried doubt.
2: Finds joy and beauty in it. Have you ever done multiple rounds of the uh, hot and cold?
1: I have, yeah. Um, not as much sauna as hot tub, cold tub. But I've done, I've done about fifteen minutes sauna and five minutes cold tub, and about three rounds of that. I, I like that too. That's just mm. that just becomes logistically time wise and, sure. and get out of the sure, cold. I got to dry off. I got to get back. So logistically, that's more a little bit tougher to do. But particularly if you're in a public area um but um know one thing i don't have but i want to have is a sauna in my house to e- even even in the winter time going out in the cold for 5 minutes getting in the sauna for 10 going back out in the cold for 5 i think i think those are things that uh metabolically i think they certainly that are beneficial provide it's like everything else it's the the dose is the poison right not the not the uh, stimuli itself, but, but how often we do it, how long we do it, how frequently we do it, that can cause problems.
2: Well, the Scandinavians love that kind of stuff, mate.
1: They do. Yeah, they do.
2: They even love getting pissed up in the sauna too with the boys and then going to jump out in the snow. Mm -hmm. That's like a regular, a regular thing for them. So yeah, there's a lot there, mate. Yeah.
0: At at the bathhouse I talked to, um, there, there's a whole bunch of like, uh, Hasidic Jews that go there and they always end up going up to, uh, Canada. And they have these saunas all outside in Canada right by the river. And they call them innings. Mm-hmm. So, so you do as many innings as you can when you you sit in the sauna for as long as you possibly can, then you run out and you jump in the cold, your cold river and you stay there as long as you can, then you go in the sauna as long as you can and you try to get, you know, a nine-inning baseball game, right? Like you try to get as many innings as possible. Then that night you just go and you feast. Like, and it's, it's, it's really, really, but that's what I do when I go to this place. It's just a chlorinated pool, but it's incredible. It's at bro. I feel, and I'm not in, I'm not in that 32 degree cold tub for longer than my goal is 10 breaths. That's how, that's how brutal I am. And then they have a freezing cold shower that might be like 40 degrees that I just stay under for as long as I possibly can to wipe, to wash all the chlorine off. But then I go right back in the, in the sauna, man. It is phenomenal. I leave there. As long as I end on cold, if I end on hot, I'm exhausted. If I end on cold, yeah. it's, it's like, I have a lightning bolt. Of yeah. Energy. You're
1: energized. I find that too. If you end on cold for me, it's the same. I think there are, that's a personal preference to large degree. Um, and we, you know, that's another conversation, but there are athletes, these, these, um, high real tightly wound wired athletes just dislike the cold
0: i despise the cold dislike it
1: yeah it makes me now i don't think anyone sits in cold and goes wow that feels great the first time but i mean they just and they, they feel worse 24 hours later because they sat in the cold tub whereas if i end on cold i feel great i have i have energy i i feel great um there are i think it's a personal preference i think it's I think it depends on a lot of things. I mean, um, if we did, if we looked at heart rate variability before and after, I think you'd see different responses. It, some people, that's a stressor, the cold is. For some people, it's a, they get out and they're a little more relaxed. And so I think it's individual variation, but I've, I'm similar to you that ending on cold is, is how I feel the best when I end those sessions.
0: Yeah. See, I, I hate the cold. I avoid it at all costs. I'll go in the sauna any time, any day of the week the cold tub, I need to like muster up the courage to go in. It's, it's, yeah. ac- it actually, it, it's, it's like a phobia. I hate the cold that much, but when I, I know when I come out of it, I feel better. That's the only reason I go in, but getting in it, it's, it's like painful for me. Yeah,
1: You need and- to stay
2: in the sauna until you're crawling out and then you're searching for it.
1: <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's true. When you're so hot,
2: you're so hot. It, it,
1: yeah, it yeah. feels good. And And the cold, I like the cold for, Again, I don't think anyone enjoys it. What I like is I like it for the discipline of the breathing.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Because you know how
1: it is in the cold. It's just we we take a breath and hold our breath. But can you can you quiet your mind and can you relax and can you breathe in the cold? And, and pretty soon the cold is not so bad. But that's, you know, most of us get that, that sympathetic response and, and just breathing rate goes up and we hold our breath. And, and just the ability to sit in it and breathe, I think, um that's, that's the test I like for myself.
2: Yeah. And also even, even I'm, I'm with you hundred percent, but there's, for me, there's something else too. It's like, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. You're going to do it anyway. And then what's the ripple effects of that? I mean, this is like, uh-huh. we're doing a full circle now because I mean, you were saying at the beginning how you love to just do things because there's an element of suffering involved, but that's also because that generates good momentum into other sure. things that's going on for you in your life too, right? And for me, that's a, that's, that's a big point of it too. So, yeah, I don't know. I love it. And I mean, so many people now are like, oh, you don't need uh, the cold. Uh, the cold isn't that good to do with injuries in particular. Sure. But I think yeah. it, and that's there's, that's legit. I think they're hot. Like, getting injured guys go in the sauna, you're getting way more bang for your buck. You're not doing it so much necessarily just for the body. You're doing it way more for the mind, and that prolonged exposure and really f- narrowing and focusing your attention on your body and maintaining a good cadence of breath—that's doing wonders for you.
1: Hundred percent, agree.
2: What time do you got to get out of here?
1: Uh, we've got some things this afternoon here, so what, you tell me.
2: Well, so you, he wants—he needs to boogie. Yeah,
0: time, <laughs> you time to lie. bounce. We've we've had you on for an hour, bro. I I. I could have you on. We didn't even. I didn't even get into the questions that I wanted to freaking ask you.
2: Yeah, me too. I've got three of them here too. I, I, want, to, I want to. I want to ask
0: you about about the program, everything that you were doing there. But I uh, shit. I guess maybe we'll have to have you on another time.
2: Yeah, I will tell
1: you, I I would give you one thing that that um like I said, Cam does great work with the with the speed and the 1080 sprint data we get. Um, you know, one thing that that I really I'm really I've been excited about for three years is is the, and we can talk about it on a future podcast is the. Um, a body composition analyses we do with our team.
2: So um, what do you we, use, DEXA?
1: We don't. We don't use, we don't, we, we use a, um, a five-way fractionation model, which involves 22 measures, breadth measures to measure the weight of the skeleton, the skeletal weight, because the weight of the skeleton dictates the amount of muscle mass a frame can hold. Once we reach those upper physiological limits for skeletal weight, the individual can continue to put on weight, but it's going to be adipose, right? It's not going to be lean muscle mass. Um, this this was a this occurred to me three or four years ago when I started this process down this road. Um, it's also one of the reasons I'm on a Skype call every Sunday morning. Um, but we use a five-way fractionation model, which which was presented, this, this is presented from a cadaver study done in uh, late 70, early 80s. Um, I think it, the guy named Dr. Drinkwater was involved in that, but, um, we look at breaths, 22 measures in total, breaths, girths, uh, muscle girths and skin folds, combination of, combination of all three. And we, we really, as opposed to a Bob pod where we're getting lean body mass and fat mass, and in a Bob pod as as you guys well know, fat mass is body fat, lean body mass refers to everything that's not fat mass. Mm-hmm skin bone organs muscle however skin bone organs don't act on the lever system the skeletal system only lean muscle mass does so we're able to determine with our athletes the weight of their skeleton their current level of muscle mass and approximately how much muscle mass their frame can hold
0: i don't buy that
1: it, this has been around this has been around like i said for almost 40 years it's been done in argentina for the last 20 years on Olympic athletes. We've got data, I've got, and I can show you at some point, Mike, that we've got data on optimal ratios of muscle mass to bone mass for sprinters, field hockey, swimming and diving, um, rugby. Um, So this is, and these are validated studies. Now, it hasn't been used in Europe and the United States very much because it requires 22 measures Many of these are found in the ISAC um, coursework you do when you get certified ISAC, but some are not. Um, So there's a, you know, for someone to measure this, it involves certification of the measure. It involves algorithms that that were presented in a thesis um, years ago by Deborah Kerr, um, who was at, I think, Simon Fraser University in Vancouver at the time. and again, I, this, these are things that we can go deeper into. These are things I ran across three or four years ago. We did them. We performed them on the whole New York Giant football team. Uh, everyone at the Senior Bowl in 2019 and here at Indiana University with our team. And um, and I'll show you. Um, I'll show you guys kind of maybe off the podcast just the data that we're getting. Um, very interesting. Not only not only muscle to bone ratios, but uh, shoulder to hip ratios for sprinting athletes, shoulder to hip ratios for your linemen or rugby athletes. In other words, width of the 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 biochromial width of the bio biocrystal width of the width of the shoulders to the width of the pelvis. Um, and those ratios. Um, and we found some interesting things just with NFL players and college players on um, some of our fastest athletes and what those ratios are in some of our fastest athletes.
0: I, I could I could buy the anthropometrics in that sense. But as far as skeletal mass and optimal, I guess optimal is the word, but the amount of muscle that someone's capable of putting on, I, I, don't, I don't buy that for a second because, I mean, look at every friggin' bodybuilder.
1: Now, obviously- Well, they, well they, yeah, but that's, those, those are certainly. So the average Caucasian can put on, we think can hold 5.0 to 5.2 pounds of muscle per pound of skeletal weight bodybuilders have that been documented
2: 6.6
1: yeah that's supra physiological we're talking about physiological limits now bodybuilders also have tendon ruptures and a whole host of things going on too when they when you supra physiologically um gain more muscle than than you were put on earth to have right we're talking about so these studies there's meat industry studies on cow carcasses of muscle (laughs) bone ratios we've got um muscle bone ratios of kangaroos, of squirrels, of, I mean, bats to fly. Like this is, this isn't me. This is, these are studies that have been done yeah. for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm happy to send you, but that's, we're talking about physiological, not super physiological, Okay, physiological constraints. And, and think about it. Logically. If our skeletal frame isn't as large, we can't hold the muscle. And, I, and I'll tell you how this started was one of our, players in New York who has probably the most muscular lower body I've ever seen um also had the and he's not a lineman and he's not he's a skilled player had the third largest ankle circumference of any player on our entire roster so I started thinking okay if you put my skeletal frame in his body, there's no way he can build the calves, the quads, the hamstrings that he, is, mm-hmm. that he has now. There's no way because the muscular, the skeletal system will not support that. And the only reason I measured was because we were doing compression stockings for a West Coast trip. So I started, then I started researching several articles from muscle to bone ratio and anthropometrics in the 90s. And I kept com- coming across a common name, a guy named Francis Holway, who who broke is, I didn't know at the time, was in Argentina, Buenos Aires. And um, it took me another six months to track down Francis. When I finally did, we Skyped. And now this, this has been three years of, of just, and he's brilliant. Um, and this is kind of his life's work, but he's got measures from every Olympic athlete, from every sport for the last 20 years on muscle to bone ratios, anthropometric characteristics, uh, thigh length, femur length to tibial length, hip width to shoulder width. Um, boy, he, he's, I learned something new. Every Sunday, I learned something new when I talked to him. It's incredible data. Um, and in in football, in American football, we're always looking at, we're always making some predictions, right? He's a 220-pound tight end or defensive end. Can he be 255 pounds? Does he have capacity? And I, and even in the NFL, we make those predictions of guys coming out of college. So I just kind of got disenchanted with just – I'm not – I don't like to work in the in gray areas much. Like, yeah, I've seen a guy like him. I think he can gain 30 pounds. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a more yeah. objective way to predict um, how much muscle mass the frame can hold. We know that you can hold weight indiscriminately. Like, th- there is no theoretical maximum for the amount of body fat you can hold – but there are theoretical maximums for the amount of muscle mass a skeletal frame can can support, um, because muscles are attached to tendons, tendons pull on bones, and so um, interesting stuff that um, you know maybe next time we can we can dig a little deeper.
2: Sounds to, good. It's always leave... a pleasure, mate. Yeah, way to
0: leave us hanging on that one, bro.
1: <laughs> That's just so you have me back again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me get off.